And tonight we're going to be in Psalms 50. Uh, this starts a, or this is the first time that we're introduced in a psalm that uh, is written by uh, As- uh, Asaph. Uh, there's some others that, uh, according with this one, and then you go through, I think it's Psalms 73 through, uh, what is it, about 83, 84, I think, uh, 83, that uh, uh, is written by him. Uh, you can go to Chronicles, First Chronicles 6, uh, talks about him a little bit. He's one of the chief musicians that played before the ark. I think he played the cymbals. Um, but we see these... Uh, uh, while we're introduced to him here, you kind of see the different style that has changed uh, when it comes to this song. Boy, I, I wear them out, don't I? With, with him. Now this song can be, I don't want to say difficult, but it can be interpreted, uh, in, there can be an interpretation that can go uh, a few different ways. Um, you know, it, you, we're going to see about judgment, we're going to see as it were a court that is called into session, uh, God judging the, the, those people that are in a covenant relationship with him, those uh, that are wicked that's going to be judged. Um, there's no event that you actually see this you know, actually take place. So is this just written in a, a form of uh, just kind of uh, out there in theory of how this is going to take place? Is this a, a, a prophecy of actually what's going to take place uh, in the final judgment? Uh, uh, you, you can read a little bit into it of, of the old covenant uh, being done away with and the new covenant coming into existence. Uh, I think there's some hints uh, toward that. Um, but by and large, of anything else, you, you can actually, uh, uh, as most of them are, when there's a lot of different ways that you can see it being presented, that um, we still get the, the point of it. The point of it is God, who God is, uh, the judgment that He's going to bring, and how we need to have the relationship that He wants us to have with Him so uh, we can face the judgment uh, the way that we are hopefully preparing to. Um, but let's look here starting in Psalms 50. It says, The Mighty One, God the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before Him, and it shall be very temptuous." Uh, uh, all around him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Let the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. So you see several things here in the very beginning. I think you see in the very beginning the different references of God, the Mighty One, God the Lord, uh, it's, it's putting God in every, every form in which they know Him at, especially when it comes to Jehovah God. So you see here, if you go back to, to Hebrew, you see that 
he's being presented of there's no doubt who this God is. There's no doubt that it's God uh, who is doing this. And he's in essence calling his court and he says, okay, I'm about to bring judgment. And when we see that he's about to bring judgment, he, he's summoning all the people together. But as he summons all the people together, we see that there's actually going to be two judgments. One for the ones in the covenant relationship and one for the ones in the wicked. And we don't think about that. You know, we think about as Christians that, you know, when it comes to judgment, he's only going to judge, in essence, the wicked people because... Those are the ones who are committing sin. Those are the ones who he has to, you know, say, you've done this, so I'm bringing judgment upon you. But it's also us, if we're in a right relationship with God, you know, as the Bible says, we all give an account of what we've done in the body, both good and bad, right? So when we are presented in, in that form, we've got to realize that we are going to stand before God. Now, you see here, I think, in the immediate part, as, as Israel would think about this, you see it talking about coming out of Zion. Everything to them was about Jerusalem. Everything to them that Jerusalem where this is going to take place. Jerusalem is where you know, God's going to come down, where everybody's going to be drawn to and give an account of their lives. You can see some hints of this, I believe, if you want to talk about it as being prophecy. You see some hints of this as far as what did Jesus tell his disciples where would he give them instructions and where would this come from? Where were they at when it comes to the day of Pentecost? Jerusalem. And if you go back, he says, out of Zion these things will come, right? It's the same premise of, of, okay, here's where this is going to begin. So you can look at it a couple ways. You could look at it that it's talking about this final judgment, but you could also look about that he, he's talking about how the sacrifices and the things of the old uh, the old covenant, now he's ushering in something new. And there has to be some decisions. There has to be a, a judgment placed upon, are you going to follow this or not? Now the Zion is where this is going to come from. But he, he breaks this down into two categories. And it's a category of those in a covenant relationship, and it's a, a category of those in the wicked. First Peter 4 and 17 says it this way, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So it always, uh, the final judgment is going to start with the righteous, right? It's going to start with those that are uh, in that right relationship. And so you can see here how we can see uh, hints, if you will, of the final judgment itself. Um, but it says at the end, let the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. I think we're going to see some things through this psalm where, and I think if we're not careful, we can put ourselves in this same category to where we judge ourselves. We, we determine if we're doing right or not. We determine if we're in the right relationship with God. And he's going to talk about some individuals here that say that they were, but the way they lived their lives, it's evident that they wouldn't. So they were, in essence, judge of themselves. And he's saying here, it's, it's God. It's, it's God himself who's going to deliver this. And I think it's, we do well to keep that in mind. Uh, when we serve him, when we do the things that he says for us to do, we need to make sure that we're doing it the way that he wants us to, by his standard, because he's the one that's going to be the judge, right? You know, we could go back to Matthew 7 and judge not that you be not judged, why, why, why does he say that? Judge not that you be not judged. Because with what judgment you use, guess what? 
it's going to be brought back to you. So he said, here's, here's the fallacy in, in being judges yourselves. Not only judging yourself, but judging other people to the extent of we decide what's right, we decide what's wrong, because the same measure in which we use is going to be measured back. Now God's going to judge us by His standard, but what if He judges by His standard by the way in which we judge? Would we want to be judged like that? Okay, I'll base it to God's Word, but I'll use how strict or how, how I think it ought to be applied based on what I think. And I think that's what Matthew 7 is talking about, that we've got to be careful because it's going to be measured back to us in that very way. Do we take God's Word and then we apply it to the judgment in which we want to, or do we take God's Word and we apply it the way that He says to because He is the final judge? But again, He says, you know, call all the earth uh, from the rising sun to going down. No one's going to escape this judgment. No one's going to escape what's taking place here. And as you get into this, you can kind of see why that is, because, he, again, he breaks it down into two points. Let's go just a little bit farther in uh, uh, verse 7. Hear, O people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your house, nor goats out of your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountain, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine, and all is fullness. Will I eat the flesh of bulls, or drink the blood of goats, offer to God thanksgiving, and pay your vows uh, to the Most High? Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. So he starts out here with individuals that are in a covenant relationship with him, but he has some rebuke for them. And now here's where some scholars will say, okay, here's where he's talking about uh, that, that can be some prophecy of, of what's going to take place of ushering out the old and ushering in the new with the cross of the old with the sacrifices and bringing in how we're to worship him now. Because he says, he, he talks about their sacrifices and he talks about what they're doing and saying, okay, I, yeah, I told you to do that, and, and, I, and that's always before me, but here's something new. Well, I, I don't know if that's exactly how I, how I read this here. Um, I, I think there's some truth in that, but he, he's not condemning them for uh, their sacrifices. How could he? Who was it that asked for sacrifices to begin with? He did. So he, he, he's saying here, he said, I'm not, you know, I'm not condemning you for it. No, he said, I, I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. They're doing exactly what God, the sacrifice part, is exactly what God wanted them to do. But notice what he says, though. I will not take a bull from your house, nor goats out of your fold, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on the hills are mine. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. So let me ask you this. Does God need our sacrifice? So why does He want us to sacrifice then? Because He asks us to. Is it for Him or is it for us? Yeah. But I think we can have a tendency to think it's, it's something that... I, there's there's one, one writer that, that referred to it this way, that God is not rebuking their, their sacrifice, but the underlining problem was the reason the people thought they were sacrificing. 
was to feed God, that God needed that, that God needed that food, that He needed that sacrifice for His survival, maybe. You know, they were appeasing Him. And, and one reference to this, and I, I went back as they referenced that, because I didn't know anything much about the Mesopotamian gods and the, a lot of different gods, so I went back and read some different things about it. And that's what, in the, the people's mind, that their gods required. They actually had to give them three meals a day. You know, they had that, in essence, feed them. And uh, you've seen the essence of this. I was talking to, uh, um, I, think it was either, I think it was either Raju or Chini. We were having a discussion because we went by one of the temples when I was in India. And I, I, that's the first time I'd ever seen a priest and people giving things to it. And he was making reference. And I don't remember if it was him or he was saying somebody in his family uh, that was older. The one reason that they quit doing that was because they wouldn't have food to eat, but they would go to sacrifice, you know, bring this food to the temple. And he said he, when he was a kid, he'd look around and see them sneak around and the, the priest would take the food and go around and eat it. And he said, there we are starving to death, but the priest is eating, you know. But that's what, you know, in a lot of different, when people have different gods, they think they need to do that to appease their god. Well, some of the culture can creep into what God wants us to do, can it? Some of the things that we see around us can kind of creep into that. And I think, uh, and I, I agree with one of the writers who said they think that's what this is uh, talking about. God's not condemning them for their sacrifice. What he's rebuking them for is their thought process behind the sacrifice. Because look at some things that's implied here. God, one, is telling them, well, this isn't implied, it actually says it. I don't need the sacrifice. Everything's mine anyway. You know, everything that you see, the goats that you have sacrificed, whatever it is you're sacrificing, all that's mine anyway. But then notice what he says. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. So that, that, that implies something, doesn't it? Why does he say that? Why does he say, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you? Are they giving the sacrifice because they think their God is hungry? That their God needs that? That God needs us to sustain him? And he's saying, even if I were, I wouldn't tell you. So you're, you're doing it for the wrong reason. It's, it's not that the sacrifice is wrong, because that's what he required was a sacrifice. Could it be, in their mind, why they are sacrificing? And I got to thinking about that today. Can that problem still exist today? God requires a lot of things from us, but requiring these things from us, we can get in our mind a different reason for doing it. It, it can become more about me. Well, God needs me to do this. God needs me to sing these songs of praise to Him. God needs me to, uh, to come and worship Him. God, does God need anything from us? No, He's God. We're the creation. He's the creator. We're, we're, the, we're the clay pot. He, he's the creator. He can crush us at any time. And decide, nope, I'm going to do it. I can't look up at him. You know, we've used this reference before. If he makes me into a cup, I can't say, no, I don't want to be a cup. I want to be a bowl. I don't get that, I don't get that uh, uh, privilege to do that. God doesn't need that from me. So you, you think of the things in which we do in our worship today, I think the same thing can be applied. We need to make sure we know why we're doing it and understand that we have the right thought process in doing that. You know, we could, you know, there's a lot of discussion sometimes about partaking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. What does that truly mean? Does it mean how you partake of it? Does it mean how you live your life? 
I believe it's talking about how you take of it and your thought process while you're taking care of it because none of us are worthy to. I can't look at my life and, and, and say, well, I'm just not worthy to take this. Well, what makes me worthy? He does by walking in the light as he is in the light. Now, if I willfully sin, yeah, my whole worship could be in vain if I'm just doing whatever I want to do anyway. But it's about, okay, I'm taking this Lord's Supper and I need to understand why I'm taking it. Understand what the process is when I'm taking it. Understand that it's, it, it's, it's representing His body and His blood, that sacrifice that He made. And it's not just that, it could be anything that we do. Anything that we do in worship, I think we can twist around to our own benefit to where we could still do the action in which He requires, but we could still be rebuked for it. You didn't save yourself, yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it's, that's exactly right. I couldn't put that any better. It, we, we, we put that in our minds to, we, again, I think it comes back to ourselves. We, we think we know better or we get in our mind, okay, I'm doing this. And, and I think it may be our own fault in how we phrase it. You know, yeah, God commands us to do it, and then we'll take, well, God commands us to do it to God requires us to do it to where in our minds we start creating reasons why he requires us to do it. And then we start taking it from that point on to where every bit of it is for our benefit to realize our dependence on him and it becomes opposite to us that he's dependent upon us to do it. Oh, oh God just can't survive if I don't praise him. God can't survive if I don't you know, pray to him. He can't it's not about that. Now, I'm not saying those things are important. God wants us to do that, and He requires us to do that, but that's for our benefit, for, for realizing our dependence upon Him, realizing our, our need for Him, a constant reminder of what He did for us. The, these are the things in which the reasons He wants us to do it, but we can, we can get into these things to where it becomes something totally different. Now, I believe that's what's taking place here because he doesn't come out and say that in the Psalms, but there's reference to it to where, one, he's saying, well, I'm not going to rebuke you for the, the sacrifices because they're always before me. He can't do that because he required them. That, that's what he required. Then he says, all, he goes through, all these things are mine anyway. So he's saying, I don't need them. They're mine anyway. The purpose isn't for me, it's for you. And then he says, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. I mean, think about it. What could we do anyway? Are we the one that, that's uh, sustaining God? Uh, Psalms 8 and 4 is a good example of this. What is man that you are mindful of him? I think we need to remember that. What are we that he's mindful of us? We're, we're just this, this, you know, in the whole scheme of things, we're his creation. We're his wonderful creation. We're created in his image. But it's not about us. It's about uh, 
Uh, and I'll say this again. I think this is a good point. And I thought I brought it out uh, maybe one other Wednesday night. Titus had a good lesson in his, uh, uh, the next to the last night, I think, in your gospel meeting when he's talking about idols. And it come back to we can become an idol. And where the scriptures talk about worshiping the creation over the creator, sometimes we think of some, some golden image or something, or like in India, some of these monkey gods and these things. But what about this creation? That's what we start worshiping, isn't it? Is this creation instead of the creator? And I think here's a perfect example of that. You know, man can become to where we think that God depends upon us. And it's the other way around. Any thoughts about this? Comments. You agree with that, Mike? You on board? Well, good. If you agree with it, then nothing else to say, is there? <laughs> but it does come down to, I think, how does this apply to us? Is as we're worshiping God today, as we're serving God, it's just as important to know why as it is to know what. What to do. We need to know what to do, but we, we really need to make sure we're teaching and studying and learning about the why to do it. Uh, there, there's, there's some generations that grow up that don't know that. I was one of them. I, I could tell you everything to do. I couldn't tell you why I did them. I, I, I couldn't even give you, I could give you scriptures where it says to do it. I could quote them. I mean, just rattle them off. But then you start saying, well, why do you do it? Because it's right there in the Bible. That's why I do it. Well, is that a good enough answer? I, why is it in the Bible? Why am I supposed to do it? What's the purpose behind doing it? If I don't know those things, then why am I doing it? You know, if, if I don't realize and try to learn everything about the Creator so I can know how that Creator wants me, His creation, to live and to do, then I think I'm, I'm missing something very important there. Uh, and here I think they've, like many has throughout generations, uh, gets pretty uh, kind of off the, off the mark some because of it. But look again here starting in verse 12. He says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and, and all its fullness. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God thanksgiving. Now he starts getting into the why. He says, I, this isn't what I need, but here's how you should do it. Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. So he's giving them some definition of why now. Thanksgiving. Well, everything I should do is because I'm thankful to God. I mean, I'm here because of God. I have hope of eternal salvation because of Him. My whole very being of everything I do is because of Him. So what I give back is not of His need for me, it's my need to thank Him because of what He's done for me. And then He says here, and pay your vows to the Most High. My prayers, my, everything that I do is toward Him. So I realize everything that I have, because He just got through saying all these things, everything in the world and all its fullness is mine, He says. It's not mine, it's God's. So I'm thankful for all of these things that, that I have, uh, because it's God's anyway. Then he says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Uh, here's where it's, it, it's a true statement, but that can be abused too. You know, I, I'm thankful to God, and I recognize, recognize my dependence upon Him because I realize that He's the one that can deliver me. 
He's the one that sustains me. I don't sustain him. He's the one that sustains me. But I can take this to a, a superstitious level to where some that worshiped all these other gods do. If I don't do this, something bad's going to happen to me. You know, God's, God's going to take care of me. He's only going to take care of me if I give him this bowl of rice. Or he's only going to take care of me if I make this sacrifice to him. If I, we can get into that kind of mindset of, of okay, God's going to deliver me, so I do this so nothing bad will happen to me. It can, it can go back to just worshiping just different gods uh, under superstition to be able to do that. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about here that God's going to be my help in trouble. God can deliver me and, and glorify me. Uh, you know, and we should glorify him because why? Because he's the one that created me. He, he's the sustainer of me. I'm not the sustainer uh, of him. And I, I think once again, we can either get it reversed or we can get it in such a stage where it becomes a ritual to where we think, okay, I've got to do this, 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 and this, or something, something bad will happen. Um, and we've got to be careful uh, for either one. Any thoughts about that? Well, this is just as clear as it can be, isn't it? <laughs> um, let's start verse 16. But to the wicked, God says, now he changes the tune here. Uh, he's talking about those in a covenant relationship. He said, okay, here's what you're doing. Here's the judgment I'm bringing upon you for doing this. You're doing these good things. I'm not going to rebuke you for that. But you better make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. If you don't, then problems are going to arise. Then he turns his, his attention to the wicked. This is just like Matthew 25, separating the sheep from the goats. You know, those on, on the left hand are this, those on the right hand are this, those on the left hand go into eternal punishment, those on the right into life everlasting, and what made the difference? What made the difference was serving God or not, and you see the same thing here. Starting in verse 16, he says, But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth, seeing you hate instructions and cast my words behind you, when you saw a thief, you consented with him and have been partakers with adulterers. You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done and I've kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. Now consider this, you who forgot God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. Now, believe it or not, there's some debate over this part of it. Um, you can read some that get kind of harsh and say, well, they talk, some say this is talking about hypocrites, but it has nothing to do with hypocrites. It has to do with people that are in the world and how they're living. Um, that may be true. I mean, they are wicked. But these individuals do have some sense of, I think I'm in a relationship with God. They're, they're saying things like they're in a relationship with God, but they're living a way that's totally different. That kind of sounds like a hypocrite to me in a lot of different ways. But notice what he says. He says, you're saying these things with your lips, but here's what you're also doing too. You see a thief over here, you're consenting with him. You're over here with adulterers. You're, 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 you're slandering, okay? You're, you're, you're talking this way, but you're also talking that way and you're living this way. So how can you say that you're in a relationship with me and you think I'm going to keep silent on it, God says, but I'm not. And the reason you think that is because you think I'm like you. 
whether I'm going to forget about it, I'm going to overlook it, I'm not going to do anything about it, but I am. And he said, here, now's the time. Now's the time to, to answer for it. Um, and, and I think we see that in the world. But I think, um, and here's where I struggle thinking it's, it's just the wicked in the sense of someone's never obeyed. Because if you're truly in the world, I don't think you're going to say anything good or bad to God. Just about. You're just going to live any way you want to anyway. But I think it, it's about an individual who's trying to put on a, a front of to say good things, to say the right things, but then just consent with anything else that's going on. He said, you're just living, you're living like the world anyway. And he says, how I can tell it is one by your actions, but also by your tongue, how you slander and how you do these things. Now we can look at our own lives and we say, well, that don't, that's not us because... I don't, uh, I don't consort with thieves, and I'm not out here committing these sexual sins as he's talking about here. I'm not out here doing this. But what about the tongue? What about here where it says, "In your tongue frames deceit. You said against your, uh, and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. Does that hit home? Do, do, does our tongue get us in trouble? Does our, uh, you know, do, do we think about the things that we say? See, I think we do with, with sin like we do the Bible. I think we want to pick and choose what applies to us. We pick and choose what we call a sin or what we just call, well, that's just a shortcoming. Or we pick and choose, okay, I, I want this verse to say this and I want this verse to say this. Doesn't matter what the context is, just as long as it fits my life and it, and it says what I want it to say. Well, I think we do the same thing when it comes to sin. We, we, we pick and choose what we think is, is the sin or not. And probably more times than not, we don't ever consider the tongue. We don't ever consider gossip or slander or hateful, uh, hateful speech or, or anger speech. Or, we don't ever consider any of that sin. But he says, here, here's what you're saying. You, you say, uh, uh, what right have I declare, uh, to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth? Uh, he says, you, you, you're declaring this. You're taking my covenant in your mouth, but here's what you're doing. And God said, now I'm going to hold you accountable for that. Because that, to me, is, uh, when I read this, I see it more devastating than just a person out in the world. You would expect that from a person out in the world. They look at it and say, well, that's a worldly person, so, you know, we expect that. But what about a child of God? Do you expect a child of God to talk like that? Do you expect a, God, a child of God to do those things? Because it not only hurts them, it hurts the influence of what they're saying they're living, but it also affects the church within itself. So who does that reflect on? It reflects on God, doesn't it? So there's, there's more damage uh, to be done there. Um, but he says, here, somebody say But they did it under the badge of religion. <laughs> you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a pretty harsh uh, rebuke to, to, to have that, but yet to be on the receiving end of that because it's the damage that it can do. Uh, and we've got to be careful with that. James says in James 1 and 26, If anyone among you thinks he is religious, does not bridle his tongue, but, uh, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is 
useless. I mean, think about that. Useless. Um, you know, when it comes to, I always say that, uh, you know, I, I, I struggle with uh, emotions and I, I worry a lot that that's one of my biggest things. I don't know. I, I guess it'd be a close race between that and the tongue. You know, I, I like to talk. I like to cut up. I like to do, you know, but I often wonder, you know, as a matter of fact, the Bible talks about, you know, the more you talk, the more you're responsible for what you say it. <laughs> you know, so you need to think about every word that you say. We'll be held accountable for those words, right? So we need to think about, are, are we saying things to encourage? Are we saying things to build up? Are we saying things to make a situation better? Or are we tearing down? Are we slandering? Or are we trying to make it worse? You know, and the tongue's a dangerous thing because once you say it, I mean, how do you get it back? How do you unsay it? Because nobody can't unhear it. No matter what you do past that point, it still was said, wasn't it? Feelings may have still got hurt. You know, people may have still got mad. Whatever it may be, you know, you can't get past that point. So when we, we in, in one breath, we're saying these religious things and, oh, I'm in this covenant relationship with God and I hold to his statutes, but over here in the same thing, you're acting just like the world acts by the things you say and how, how you do things. And, and it's not an easy, easy balance to do because we don't think of that as the serious things. We don't think about that as, as the damage that can be done. But as he's calling judgment here, on these individuals, uh, he's telling them, okay, you, you think I'm going to be silent on this, and it may look like it. It may look like that you're, you're, everything's fine and nothing's ever going to, to happen with it, but there's going to come a day of judgment. There's going to come a day of reckoning. And we've all got to stand before God on this day of judgment. So how are we going to stand? We give account for the things that we've done in the body, both good and bad, as Corinthians tells us. So what about the good and what about the bad? What about the good that I've not done? What about the bad that I have done? You know, what about the good that I have done and the bad that I hadn't done? I, we have to consider these things. We have to think about these things. And part of that is our speech. It's our actions. It's our thoughts. It's our, 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 our thinking of how we even come in here on Wednesday nights and and, and do our Bible classes. Why are we doing it? You know, have you ever asked yourself, why are you here? You know, what really am I thinking I, I, I've got to get out of this? I think sometimes we can get into, and I say this because I actually heard somebody say this to me one time, that if they left a congregation, the congregation would just fold up. This congregation couldn't survive without me. I didn't, it wasn't said here, but it was said to me at a place that I was at, and, uh, and I've thought about that statement a lot. I've had it said to me a couple different ways. One was just pretty blunt. If I walk out this door, the lights will be turned off and it might as well just close down. Then I had someone say, well, if I left, I give so much they couldn't survive anyway. I mean, think about really the, the arrogance of that. Oh, the place of fall, fall. And I think sometimes we think that. We think a place can't survive without. Now, we all want to be needed, and we should be needed in a congregation. You know, you should be needed in, in the things in which you do. And yeah, a, a congregation can thrive because of your talents and your gifts that you're supplying to it. But uh, should I be arrogant enough to think that the only reason it's surviving is because of me? 
I think sometimes we can get to that point. You know, I think that's where, it's, it's, uh, that's where he was talking about the righteous, and then the wicked was just pretending to be something that they wouldn't as far as, okay, I'm saying this and this. And we don't think about these things. I think this psalm really gets down to some things that we don't think about sometimes. Um, I think we need to start thinking, I'm here. I need to do all that I possibly can do with the talents and gifts that God has given me because of my dependence upon God not his dependence on me that God won't survive if I don't do it. Yeah. Uh, God. Been singing this. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, and it can happen. It, it happens in our everyday life. Uh, I think that. Sometimes I think sometimes when I get so many phone calls on my day off, I'm thinking, that place just can't survive without me at work, you know. Then I get thinking, well, it's just been there 100 years before I came along. Uh, I expect if things go the same, it might be there another 100 years when I'm dead. I'm not, I'm not that important to it, you know. But we get to thinking we are, you know, don't we? We get to thinking in the world how important we are, and I think that does come within the... The church itself, we start thinking how important I am. So everything I do is because God needs me to do it. You know, or the church needs me to do it. When there's some truth to that to where God wants us to do it because he wants his creation to succeed. But it's about our dependence upon him, not his dependence uh, upon us.